This is The Drive Podcast with Josh Graham. Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? Check out The Drive weekday afternoons at 3 on WSJS Sports. It is a Monday drive. WSJS News Talk Sports for the Triad. We're by and large... This weekend's Wyndham Championship in Greensboro wasn't all that great. There weren't big names in contention. No locals really in the mix either. You had weather delays galore. And certainly, there wasn't any drama at the end. However, Tom King salvaged the entire weekend for me. He made up for a lot of the, dare I say, not-so-great stuff. And it's both because of what he did on the course in order to win the Sam Smead Trophy, but also the details of his story. But let's start with the golf first. He opened the tournament Thursday afternoon with a quadruple bogey and then proceeded to win the tournament still by five shots. Let me say that again. He spotted the field four shots from the get-go, and still won by five shots at the very end, standing on 18, not even a part of the final group. It was his first PGA Tour win. It earned him his PGA Tour card. But this is the historical piece of it. Kim is the first PGA Tour player on record to win a tournament after starting with a quadruple bogey first hole of his first round. Now, they have only been keeping hold-to-hole data since 1983, but that's still a pretty sizable sample. He's the only known player to have ever done what he did this past week, and that's far from the only reason that this win was historic. He just turned 20 years old, born June 21st, 2002. That was a Friday. And on that day, the first born supremacy movie made it into theaters. That was also the day that Juana Man hit theaters. Shouts to the Charlotte Banshees. That movie does not age well. Lilo and Stitch was in theaters. Minority Report with Tom Cruise. The number one song on the Billboard charts was A Thousand Miles by Vanessa Carlton. That might be a good karaoke song. What do you think, WD? I don't know if I've heard that one. Oh, you've definitely heard that song. There's no doubt. So you haven't seen any of those movies, though. Joanna Man, Minority Report. I've seen Lilo and Stitch. Hey, I guess that's a win. You've seen one of the Bourne movies, right? Yeah, I don't know which one it was, but... That counts. That's a win. And I know you've heard of Vanessa Carlton. I don't know if you've seen the movie White Chicks with Terry Crews. I'm going to go ahead and assume not, but I'm pretty sure that you've heard that song. Getting back to Tom Kim. He's the second youngest player in the last 90 years. 90! To win a PGA Tour event. 20 years old. Second youngest player in 90 years, back to 1932. Plus, he tied the Sedgefield course record on the front nine with a 27. 
That tied Brant Snedeker's magical round back in 2018 where he shot 59 in the first round. And he did it in the final round. Tom Kim did in order to win his first PGA Tour event at 20. But we might have been burying the lead here. Most importantly, Tom Kim named himself Tom. He chose the name Thomas for himself. Why? Apparently, at four and five years old, he was a big fan of Thomas the Tank Engine. Not a joke. You write all the headlines. John Dell's going to be with us later from the Wyndham Championship. You write them all. Tom. The Thomas. Tom Thomas the Tank Engine. Kim steamrolls the Wyndham Championship field. You can choo-choo, write them. You can write so many headlines with that. It's outstanding. I can relate to that. As a kid, I was a huge Thomas the Tank Engine guy and Batman. Those were my two shows. My two kids' shows growing up. Batman, pow, and bang, Adam West. And then also Thomas the Tank Engine. So Tom, Kim, and I. Kindred spirits in that regard. But apparently there was another name he was considering. This is sound from Tom Kim in his post-round press conference. With the Sam Snead trophy sitting right in front of him on the table telling us the other name he was considering naming himself other than Thomas. I was a big Toy Story fan. So I, I, almost, call, I almost named myself Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that was that was a close one, um, <laughs> and there's a few more. It's it's actually like it's not it's not an English character, so it's actually like an Asian character. But it's uh, Buzz Lightyear was probably the the closest one to Thomas. I was probably like four or five, so it was I was young when he started there. Referencing Toy Story, I was thinking, oh, he's about to say Woody, because maybe nope. I could see that Woodrow or something like that. Ooh, a president's name is Woodrow. Ah, it could be Woody Kim. Okay. No, Buzz Lightyear Kim. <laughs> Doesn't really flow off the tongue, does it? Yes, I can picture Jim Nance on the call on 18. Really nice touch on Jim Nance's part by allowing Nick Faldo, who went into retirement after 16 years on television with CBS, following yesterday's event, allowed for him to call the final putt for the winner, Kim. That was a really cool thing that Nance did, but I could just picture Tom Kim chooses to name himself Buzz Lightyear Kim instead. Can't really tell if he's joking when he's talking about it. We'll just assume he isn't. And he's standing on 18 at Sedgefield and beyond the 18th green in the TV booth, Jim Nance is setting up the moment and now approaches Buzz Lightyear Kim for the Wyndham Championship. And he Buries it all alone at the top at the end of the regular season. Buzz Lightyear Kim is your Wyndham champion. Got a little uh, to infinity and beyond in there. To infinity and beyond. <laughs> I'm kicking myself. Of course that would have been the call from Nance. He'd have that written down yes. earlier in the day. On Twitter at WSGS Radio, 336-777-1600. If you have thoughts. On the Wyndham Championship from over the weekend. Shifting to the Carolina Panthers now. Sam Darnold might have had the best and most important practice of his Panthers career. Dare I say his NFL career. 
over the weekend when he outperformed Sam Darnold in Spartanburg. See, we've been covering this. Baker, every day at practice last week, it felt like, outperformed Darnold by just a little bit. The margins haven't been terribly wide. It's not like this is a blowout. Sam Darnold clearly is not close to Baker Mayfield's level. That's not what we're seeing thus far. But Baker outperformed Darnold statistically. You could see it with some of the explosiveness every day last week, except Saturday scrimmage, where Darnold got more reps. He got more throws. He completed more throws, 20 of 28 with a touchdown pass. He looked really good. And in doing so, has bought himself another week to compete. I felt with the way things were trending towards the end of last week, there was a chance Baker Mayfield was a week away from being named the Panthers starter. If he was better in the scrimmage and better leading up to the first preseason game against Washington this week and better in that game, Matt Rule might think, oh no, we can't afford reps to go to someone else. This is our starting quarterback. That's what we need to do. But Darnold hasn't been that far off from Baker. He is the incumbent. And he outperformed Baker in the scrimmage this past weekend. So it's enough for Darnold to stave off what feels like an inevitability, Baker being the starting quarterback. This is what Matt Rule said after the scrimmage. I don't see us making any major decisions at any position. I don't start, I'm not putting a timetable on the quarterback position. But at anything, even like you guys asked me about left tackle, until after we get from the Patriots week, I think the Patriots week is a like true litmus test for us of, hey, where are we really? You know, we're going against another team, we're practicing. I think that'll really show us where guys are. So we'll continue to split the reps, and um, then we'll, you know, make, we'll make some evaluations off of today's tape. We'll make some evaluations af- after training camp in Wofford ends on Wednesday. And then probably after the game and, and the Patriots. Neither of the quarterbacks had a great day today, especially in the two-minute. Darnold threw a bad pick in it. But going back to the timeline, it makes sense what he's describing. You get three preseason games. You're going to split snaps through training camp until you get back to Charlotte. And you're going to have not just the second game against the Patriots to evaluate, but practices against each other and practices you could argue, and I would argue this, more valuable to the coaches than the actual preseason game is because you can specifically simulate situations at practice playing an opposing team to learn more about guys, whether it's wide receivers going up against corners and a specific defense going up against an offensive look. Coaches want to have their teams prepared to the best of their ability, and you can only do that to a certain point with your own guys that getting them against another team at practice more valuable than even what you get in the game. So it does make sense, the timeline that he's talking about. But again, it does feel like we're prolonging the inevitable here. Baker, he still hasn't even picked up the playbook fully. He's been on the roster for a month and one week. He's had exactly 10 or 11 practices as a Carolina Panther. But... He's outperformed Darnold in most of those practices. I think that's only going to get better for Baker as he understands the offense more. And it's pretty clear that he's more explosive than Darnold is. With some of the shots he's willing to take down the field and some of the ability he has. He's a more talented player. And I think we're going to get to the point two weeks from the day probably where Matt Rule has no choice. We need Baker to be the guy, and we need him to get all the reps because 
not doing so will hurt our football team not having Baker fully prepared for the opener against his former team. Now comes the moment you have all been waiting for. All right, whenever you're ready. This is The Drive with Josh Graham. I went out to Wake Forest football practice yesterday. Had the final round of the Wyndham Championship on my iPad screen as I watched on at Truist Field. Like to get out there a couple times in the spring, a couple times in the fall. Appreciate Coach Clawson allowing us to watch practice and see exactly what's happening. And after the practice ended, there's a guy I've been wanting to chat with for a while now, Kevin Higgins who I find to be a fascinating character. He's the wide receivers coach. And Dave Clawson's offense, you know, they get it gets a lot of attention. The mesh point. Dave Clawson himself for turning around weight gets a lot of deserved credit. The head man's always going to get the most credit. But this staff, the offensive staff, has stuck together pretty much his entire tenure. And that's something that's uncommon given the level of success that they've enjoyed. Warren Ruggiero, he was up for the Broyles Award last year. I'm not a voter for the Broyles Award, in case you're keeping score at home, WD. But that goes to the best assistant in college football. So he's getting recognition. He's the OC at Wake. They put up a ton of points, on average more than 40 points a game. But then Kevin Higgins does such a great job at developing these wide receivers. As somebody who votes for the Bolitnikoff Award, I can tell you, A.T. Perry, Ja'Cory Roberson, those guys are high-level college wide receivers. And when they arrive on campus at Wake, they're very much not that, or at least they're not discussed as being those types of players. Same thing for Sage Surratt and Greg Dorch and Scotty Washington. And I can go all the way down the list. Donovan Green, who we're expecting to be very good this year. Kevin Higgins takes these players who are no names on the recruiting trail upon arriving to Winston-Salem and turns them into all ACC players and even All-America candidates. He is an unsung hero. He's not the guy that's going up for these awards, but he's producing pro caliber players and once upon a time he hired Dave Clawson he was Lehigh's head coach in the mid-90s and gave Dave Clawson his first play calling job so there were a lot of different reasons I wanted to talk with Kevin Higgins and I had that opportunity yesterday here's how it sounded is there a good example of a recruiting story you can point to where you might find a guy who's a bit overlooked but see a skill set that you think "I I can turn this into something well, when we evaluate players, we like to see them in as many different atmospheres as we can or environments. Number one, we like to see them play basketball. So most of the guys that I've recruited, A.T. and Donnie and Sage, I've seen all those guys play hoops. So to me, that's one of the best indicators of what their competitive level is, uh, their athleticism as well. And then you just get to see them in another environment besides the football field. So that's the first thing we're looking for. And then... I think you talk to as many people as you can to learn about the guy's background, his character, his work ethic, and uh, not only basketball, but we're also would love to, for him to play another sport. The more three-sport athletes that we can get, 
we think that's better as well. Hold on one second. Paint the picture for me. Is Kevin Higgins sitting there as Wake's wide receiver coach at high school basketball games, looking at kids and wondering what they might be at the football field? Oh yeah, that's that's exactly what we do. We uh, we get to uh, we get to hoop game again. That's the best evaluator of talent and uh, get to see them see them play. Who's the best basketball player you think you've recruited? Say Chirot. We scored. I saw him play two games, 52 and 59 points. Now he couldn't pass, but uh, he shot it well. But uh, Sage was definitely the best hooper. For Wake Forest fans, or really football fans in general, that might have forgotten what Donovan Green is capable of doing because he didn't play last year. What kind of player do you think you got in him? Well, first of all, Donnie hasn't played in a 12-game season yet, so we've never really seen him from the beginning until the end healthy. So. We're excited about that. He's come back with a different mindset. I think he's a little bit more mature. He's got a better understanding of the system. He's coming off a year with no competition whatsoever. So it's going to be a process getting him back. I don't envision game one that he's going to be anywhere near where he'll be at the end of the season. Um, I think it's going to be a, a, a challenging journey as he works his way through. But thus far, he's in good health. Uh, his mind is better than it's ever been. And now we've just got to get him caught up from a skill level standpoint. For guys like A.T. or Donnie or Jaquari back and Greg Dorch, how important is that redshirt year from a development standpoint? Is that where the biggest jump happens, Kevin? Well, that's what our program is all about, redshirting guys, developing them, and then you get, obviously, you hope for a good four years after that. But the redshirt year is critical because those guys spend extra time in the weight room uh, they, they, they make, they help themselves with the adjustment process itself. They come out of it a little bit more mature and they have a better understanding of what we're trying to do. And typically our guys will gain anywhere from eight to 15 pounds in a year, but just the knowledge that they acquire during that time is invaluable. Kevin Higgins here. Going back into your background a bit, you gave Dave Clawson his first play calling job. I wonder at that point, how long until you guys working together, whether it be at Lehigh or later, did you know, yeah, this guy's head coaching material? Well, when I hired him, I knew that. The moment I hired him, he was an assistant on the staff as I was. I got the head job. And uh, one of the conditions in taking the head job was that I wanted Dave as the offensive coordinator. Obviously, uh, he was extremely bright, very knowledgeable. And I knew that uh, it was just going to be a matter of time before he would be a head coach, and uh, we had a great two years together. Explain this to me. Mike Elko worked with Coach Clausen for 12 years. You've been with him for since he's been at Wake, now this Last tenure. Right. Uh, and you look at like even a guy like Warren who's been with him forever. Do you, What's the secret to this staff continuity, guys feeling so satisfied that they don't mind sticking around as long as you guys have? Well, number one, we're having success. And I think any time that you have success, it's going to be fun. Number two, the culture that Coach Clawson has established here is just phenomenal. I mean, the environment that we go to work in every day, uh, you know, the coaches are the same guys every day. He sets the tone for us. Uh, we hand, treat the kids well. We, we recruit good kids. So the kids that we're dealing with, the coaches that we're around every day, just makes for a great atmosphere. Good to catch up with Kevin Higgins. A lot of good stuff there. And appreciate him spending the time after Wake Forest practice at Truist Field yesterday. Usually, they're practicing at their state-of-the-art football facility that they have on campus. But Dave Clawson, being the master of preparation that he is, 
He tries to get them out to the stadium for a day fall camp practice once and gets them out under the lights once so they know what the sight lines look like and some of the shadows and some of those angles. And you can kind of picture it when Wake Forest kicks it off Thursday, September 1st. Gosh, that is what? Three weeks? Three weeks and three days away? It's here. We're talking about... Oh, it's not here. It's but three it, weeks and I, three days away. Is. It I basically mean, is. I don't know, man. Three weeks. A lot can happen in three weeks. Like Three weeks and three days away is what we're talking about. All right, I think all the levels are set. Showtime. Now? Right now. You're on the drive with Josh Graham. A lot to recap this weekend. In a little bit, we'll get deep into Tom Kim's win at the Wyndham Championship this past weekend. Big weekend for Korean golf. We talked about it a little bit as things started to develop Thursday and Friday before Tom Kim made his big jump up the leaderboard, but top three players in the tournament this year all with Korean descent. John Ha was born in the United States, but spent 12 years in South Korea. Sung Jae M is a native of South Korea, as is, I believe, the champ, Tom Kim. So, big weekend for Korean golf, a big weekend for Greensboro. Every year is this tournament, and it's only going to get bigger as they shorten the amount of entries into the FedEx Cup playoffs from 125 to 75, which, as Jim Nance pointed out on our show on Friday, might force some of the guys who are sitting in the 60s of the FedEx Cup ranking to play in Greensboro when they otherwise might not in trying to protect their status for the FedEx Cup playoffs. Let's recap the weekend the best way we know how, by attaching letter grades to things and Graham's grades. Every week is a test for your favorite sports teams. Who passed the test? If one of y'all says some silly ass name. Who dropped the ball? I don't know. Josh Graham has the answers. I think you're very condescending and a know-it-all. Time for Graham's Grades. A through F. Pretty simple. We start with the very good first. A. The Graham Slam Pizza. WD, I brought you a slice. Are you going to try this? Or did you already I've, eat your lunch I've, today I've when I brought that to you? I've got my slice right here. I'm going to be eating it later. Okay. So we'll see what letter grade he might give that. I give it an A. A little bit biased. I learned this past weekend, it's been a menu item for over three years now at Pie Guys Pizza and more in Clemens. Go visit them and order the thing specifically. Why? Because, you know, if you're a fan of the show, support the people that support us. I I think it survived a couple of ownership changes too. I wonder if they even, they have to know what that pizza is named after, right? Maybe they don't. I don't know. Graham Slam. It's still there. I have proof. It's it's the Buffalo chicken pizza, and it's in this office, and WD hasn't tried it yet. That'll change. 
Later on, though, we're going to watch The Bachelorette tonight. Big night in the Graham household. But visit Pie Guys Pizza and More. Get yourself a Graham Slam. It's been over three years. It's been a menu item. Named after this radio show. Pretty cool. B. Sam Mills enshrinement into the Hall of Fame. The only reason it's a B is because, sadly, Sam Mills not able to give the speech himself. But you get Jim Mora up there. Playoffs? Talking about playoffs? And Sam Mills' widow, who did an excellent job of talking about keep pounding and telling that story to a national audience. You got a lot of his former teammates up there. Some of his players that he coached, like Julius Peppers that was up there in Canton. It was really special watching that speech, watching that ceremony, seeing those highlights, seeing for the first time, really, a Carolina Panther get inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It was a special weekend for the Panthers and for the Mills family. C. This year's Wyndham Championship. If I'm being honest about it, you just look at a lot of the things that didn't go so well. You don't have Webb Simpson or... Wills Alatoris or Harold Varner III in contention. You don't have really any of those big names other than Sung J.M. if you count that at the top of the world golf rankings in contention. Unless you're a super diehard golf fan, you might not even know who Tom Kim is. Yeah, So it's a C in that regard, but then you start to dig deep into his story and you see all the history that he made with this past weekend in Greensboro, and I think that elevates things a bit. So it's not a bad weekend, but I don't think I can go as far to say it's a great tournament. It's a C, this year's Wyndham. D. The Antoine Green injury in Chapel Hill. You don't know who that is? He is the second leading receiver from last year's North Carolina team that in the scrimmage this past weekend injured his collarbone. Mac Brown announced he's out for six to 10 weeks. That is significant when North Carolina in spring practice only had six wide receivers on its depth chart. That is a very small number for a college team that has over 100 te- players on the roster at a given point. Josh Downs, he's an elite receiver, but after him, not a lot of depth. It's You're asking a lot out of... Kamari Morales, the tight end, or J.J. Jones, or Kobe Paysauer, who was really good in the spring game. Those are players that need to step up. But even more than those players, you need that defense with all those blue-chip recruits to step up and play like a defense that can win football games for you. Six to ten weeks. The reason why it's not an F is because usually when you're dealing with shoulder stuff and fractures, probably cost you the year. The fact that North Carolina is at least going to get this guy back for half of its season in the worst case scenario or the final two months of its season in the best case, that that at least is somewhat salvageable good news given the circumstances for the Tar Heels. So it's a D. F. Richard Petty's golf attire. Maybe I can get to my observations following... Will Zalatoris for a round of golf like I did on Saturday. Maybe we could get, maybe we could get to that after John Dell joins us later in the show. But 
we had a chance to visit with Richard Petty, which is awesome. Asked him about North Wilkesboro, and he said that, man, when it it's cool to see people back out at the track, but since it's not Cup Series, I'm not pay, paying so much attention to it right now. He talked about the old days of packing it out. He talked about his relationship with the king of golf. Arnold Palmer and some of the promotional stuff they used to do together, him being the king of racing, of course. But his attire draws an F because I don't think there's anybody on planet Earth that stands out more on a golf course than Richard Petty did on Saturday afternoon. I don't think anyone stood out more than he did. Here's what he decided to wear in mid-90s heat. long sleeve black button-up shirt, Got his black cowboy hat on, black blue jeans, and black leather cowboy boots. So what he always wears. Exactly. Because <laughs> he's the king. The, the Richard Petty is and, what that is. Yeah, they just... He was in a golf cart, and they rolled him on over to the, the beach area beyond 16 that they have there at Sedgefield. So you saw a guy visiting with fans that were in bathing suits and in some cases, shirtless. And he's wearing a long sleeve black shirt with a cowboy hat, black jeans, and black cowboy boots. He does not golf. He I made sure to point out. I could have guessed that. So that's an F. And that's been Graham's grades for this week. Been a busy weekend for me. Out at the Wyndham Championship, out at Wake Forest football practice yesterday. Sarah Bradford and I finished our see I have my guilty pleasure is dating shows getting WD into the bachelorette we're gonna hang out later tonight and watch that's what we do on Monday nights it's great but there's this show starring or hosted by a comedian that I'm a huge fan of uh, named Nikki Glazer. it's on HBO called bleep boy Island and it's taking Parts of the Bachelor and Bachelorette series to the next level. Incredibly entertaining. We just got finished with season two of it, of two seasons. That's what we did this past weekend. And I had a chance to watch a handful of movies. My guy, Stan Cotton, who broadcast the Deeks, he's a big Clint Eastwood guy. I had never seen Unforgiven, which is the movie that Clint Eastwood won the best directing Oscar for over 30 years ago. I guess that would have been 93, so less than 30 years ago. Morgan Freeman's in it. You got Gene Hackman. Watch that last night. It was a bad idea to turn on JFK, which is three hours long at 9.30 at night. Got through the first two hours of that. I'm generally not a person that falls asleep early for movies. And did I watch anything else? Yeah, those were the two big ones that I watched over the weekend. Just getting, that's what I try to do now before, because I know when football season gets here, I'm not going to be able to watch any movies. It's all going to be, all my time's going to be watching football. When I'm watching TV, it's either The Bachelorette slash Bachelor or a bad dating show, or I'm watching a movie when it's not sports. So that's it. Sports, bad dating shows, movies. That's all I watch. I grocery shopped yesterday. That's... That's what I did. Are you a Costco man? Not yet. 
I'm wrap I'm wrapping up the last month of my Sam's Club membership right now. Need to make it official. And Costco is on the horizon. Get him on board. <laughs> we need to get Costco to sponsor this segment. So we need to do. That's a good idea. Because they are an A. Do we have that sounder to help us here? How I would grade Costco? A. Exactly. Your attention, please. This is the drive with Josh Graham. John Dell does a little bit of everything covering Wake Forest football, the Wyndham Championship, HBCUs here in the Triad, Bowman Gray Racing, and I'd imagine a pretty busy time of year. Uh, yesterday I was out at Wake football practice, Saturday I was out at the Wyndham, and John Dell had to one-up me over the last couple of days. Bowman Gray Saturday, the Wyndham the other three days of the tournament, and he spoke with Brad Lambert earlier today, Wake Forest defensive coordinator. John Dell, let's get things started with golf. What's your favorite part of either Tom Kim's week at Sedgefield or his story that we've gotten to know the last 24 hours? Well, I think the favorite part is the whole Thomas the Tank Engine thing because <laughs> I read those books to my son back in the day and my son, who's 17 now, but he loved those Thomas the Tank books and the island and Percy and all that. I think that was that was so funny that he named himself Thomas when he was five years old. And then he told us that he almost named himself Buzz Lightyear because they're, you know, from the Toy Story. So sure. I think that's the favorite. He's just a nice kid, 20 years old and, you know, a really good winner. Uh, for the Wyndham because, you know, he's somebody that no one has heard of, and now people know who he is. Yes, and breaking records, too, when you consider that he is, or at least it was a historic win in that first PGA Tour win on record to win a tournament after starting a tournament with a quadruple bogey. They've been keeping that stat since, I think, uh, 1983. And then he's the second second youngest player to... I mean, second youngest player to win a PGA Tour event in 90 years. He tied the front nine course record at Sedgefield that Brant Snedeker had at 27 a few years ago. It, it really was a historic performance on Kim's part. What, what impressed you the most about what he was able to do? Well, I think when you have a quad, an eight on the first hole, all the pressure's off. <laughs> You're just like, all right, let's just. Let's just play and see what happens. So maybe in a way, weird way, you know, getting that eight on the first hole kind of just said, all right, let's see what we can do. And then he went, what, 24 under mm. or seven, the next 71 holes. I, just his steady play, I think, was the most impressive thing. He kept waiting for him to wobble, and he shoots a 61 on the final final round. I mean, that it, it was he dominated on Sunday, especially early in the round. It was over. I mean – by the time people got out there, he had four or five shot lead, and he wasn't giving that up. Not on that course. If you're you're hitting it straight and you're putting it like the way he was, you're not going to lose it. You know, at Sedgefield, and I, it was just an impressive, you know, four rounds for him. John Dell's with us here. Follow him on Twitter at John Dell WSJ from the Winston Salem Journal. I, I proposed this earlier. Uh, so you had a really neat video of Nick Faldo and his wife and some of the CBS crew walking out of Sedgefield, his final event on TV before going into retirement yesterday. It was emotional for Sir Nick. 
Trevor Immelman is going to be the guy in the 18th tower with Nance next year. That's the immediate answer. But I can't help but think of Greg Olson when I think of Trevor Immelman's name and that, okay, if you're a golf fan, you might know who that is, just like you might know uh, who Greg Olson is. If you're not a Carolina Panthers fan, you might play fantasy football. But if you're a network executive, I don't know if that is the splashy name, a guy who's won one major championship and only two PGA Tour events, to be your long-term guy sitting next to Nance as your lead analyst. I'd be interested in your thought. If I'm CBS, if I'm Sean McManus who runs things over there, I'm giving Tiger Woods a call, and I'm trying to give him the godfather offer that Fox gave Tom Brady just because that's a name with enough cachet that the PGA Tour is going to do everything possible to make sure you have the big events. Uh, uh, The majors want Tiger Woods to be calling those types of events. And hearing Tiger's comments about Liv really triggered in my head oh, the PGA Tour really matters to Tiger. And you could argue if the guy's not well enough to compete at the highest level, there's no better way to be relevant in that sport than sitting next to Nance on 18 at the Masters, right? Well, you know, your your question kind of sparked my memory because about three, two, two years ago, maybe two and a half years ago, before Phil won that PGA Championship, that was the guy that CBS wanted, from what I understand. They mm-hmm. were going after Phil hard, and he was going to be the guy that jumped in there for Nick Faldo. And, of course, we all know that's all that's all falling apart now. Um, sure. But, yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned Tiger. I just don't think with him wanting to watch Charlie, you know, play golf and him kind of still sort of wanting to play, I just don't see that happening. But I can see where that would be my first call because if – if you're Tiger Woods, I mean, if you want to listen and hear the greatest of all time in a booth, you're going to tune in no matter who's playing because, you know, Tiger would move the needle, I think, with CBS as well. But I just don't think he's kind of up for that. I mean, you know, they, they do put in a lot of work, even though they're in air-conditioned booths and all that. I mean, they do have to do their homework. But I just think that Tiger's got other stuff to do with his family and I still think in his mind he thinks he can get back out there and play and be competitive again. John Dell with us here from the Winston-Salem Journal. You, you've been around for a while covering all sorts of things here in the triad. You remember when Brad Lambert was here before and Wake Forest, once upon a time, what a crazy idea, was winning games with defense, winning games 9-6. to six. Like in the ACC championship game against Georgia Tech way back when, Brad Lambert was the D.C. then, now he's back. And last year I I watched a Purdue team that had more interceptions. I think they were fourth in the Big Ten in interceptions. More than Ohio State, more than Michigan State, more than Michigan. He, He wanted to come back to Wake. Purdue wanted him back was my understanding too. You had a chance to catch up with him today. What are you expecting to see from the Deacon defense by just having Brad Lambert there alone? Well, I think they're going to be, they're going to be better. Um, they have to be. I mean, it, it's hard to fault a team that went eleven and three, and you're saying, "Wow, they really stink on defense." You can't you can't really you can't really say that. And I think one thing that people kind of forget is, you know, Wake scores about you know they score about within a minute. They you know Sam's got six plays and they scored and okay, Wake's defense has got to go back out there again. So it's it, it's kind of something where the defense is going to almost have to be in better shape than Wake's offense 
because Wake's offense moves the ball so frequently and they, you know, that the, the fast paced offense, they're, they're not on the field long. So I, I think he's just, he's, he's got a little different attitude, Brad. And, you know, he, I, we talked a little bit about the, you know, mid two thousands when he was here and they won that ACC championship. And he told me his best memory was even after the loss of the orange bowl, after they won the ACC championship, he looked around and saw all the Wake Forest fans there. And he's like, that's something that sticks in my mind, you know, six, it was actually, I guess, January of 07 when they played the Orange Bowl. But he just said coming back to Wake was, you know, we're standing in the middle of that field house. He's like, yeah, this wasn't here when we were here before. So he's uh, he's excited. I think they're going to be better. And, you know, the, these first three games, I think they can work all the kinks out before, uh, you know, Clemson comes to town in that fourth game. September 24th is when the Tigers come to Winston-Salem. John Dell with us here. How do the folks at Bowman Gray feel about the revival at North Wilkesboro and all the attention that's getting. Oh, that they, they loved it. I talked to Brandon Ward and Burt Myers and uh, a couple other guys that, that were up there and, and they just love that, you know, North Wilkesboro is just kind of like, you know, hollow ground for those guys. And they, they love going up there. They're going to probably go up there again, uh, depending on what kind of series they run. I mean, North Wilkesboro is not going to try and take over and do a weekly series like Bowman Gray. It's just, it's just too big of a track. And it's kind of too remote for all those, you know, cars to get there every weekend. But it was it was something that they'll never forget. And uh, I think jo- Jonathan Brown at Bowman Gray, I forgot to ask him this, but I think um, Ryan Newman won in his car. If, if I think that's what wow. happened. So and then Brown ran the next night. So it, it was just a cool experience. And they love talking about North Wilkesboro when I went down to, to the pit area before the races. I try to go down and talk to some of those guys. And at, at North Wilkesboro, they, they were still talking about that Saturday night. What kind of circus do you imagine it's going to be on Wednesday, August 31st, a few weeks from now, when Dale Jr. is driving in one of those old-school stock cars, the number three sun drop? The lines may be forming probably like August 28th. <laughs> Cause you know, there's, as you know, there's not many roads in and out of that North Wilkesboro. Um, it's going to be uh, that's going to be a sight, and I and I know uh, you know Dale Jr. has been tweeting about all that, and I think that's going to be really cool just to have you know him in a car again, and you know for something at North Wilkesboro. I was trying to look up. I know uh, I know Richard Petty won there like 16, 17 times at North Wilkesboro. Um, I have to look and see how many Earnhardt Sr. and Earnhardt Jr. won at North Wilkesboro because you know they used to go there a lot, and it's just one of those places that. You know, I know people that just stop there just because they've heard of it and there's no one around. They just kind of walk around, look, try to scrape the paint off some of the walls there and take it home. So it's it's definitely going to be a cool thing here later this month. Given who is backing this track's revival, you mentioned how often Dale Jr. is tweeting about it and in some ways has invested in it. How realistic is it that NASCAR returns in some capacity even if it's not the cup series at North Wilkesboro in the future. I think what I'm hearing from the, at least the, the Bowman gray drivers I was asking, they, they think there's definitely one, maybe one of the lower level NASCAR series or, you know, mid-level, whichever, I don't know how many series they have, but I think they're going to, they're going to start going back there. Um, and I think that's going to help that. I, I don't think the top level of NASCAR will ever be back except maybe for some, maybe an all-star event. Someone threw that at me. Uh, because you know those dates are valuable for the for the upper guys and the TV contracts are all involved and all that. That that gets way above everybody's pay grade. 
but I think, uh, you know, an ARCA series or something like that, I mean, that'd be cool to have, have a regular stop up there and, you know, see how it plays out. You just got to keep it going. You can't just let it sit there for 12, 13 years like it had been. So uh, I, I just hope something like that happens. Condell, try to enjoy the rest of your summer before September 1st gets here, okay? Vacation tomorrow. I'll be back on Sunday, and then uh, then it's football season, Josh. Love it. Love it. Hope to see you sometime soon. Enjoy vacation. Great work over the weekend. As always, what you do with the Wyndham. Look forward to reading about your conversation with Brad. Sounds good. Have a good rest of the week, Josh. No doubt.